before I get home, you make sure that you mow the lawn and clean up your room. Oh, Mom, don't you all mom me. You make sure that lawn is mowed and your room is picked up or there will be grounding. I'm just borrowing a couple lines from every home that has ever had a child, a lawn, or a room. To kind of set the table for the things I want to speak about this morning, especially about how Jesus left the earth and said he was going to come back, and he said there was work that needed to be done until he would come. I'm leaving now. Here's what I want you to get done before I come back. In fact, that is what the church is all about, isn't it? What we're doing until Jesus comes back and what he wants done. Have you considered that? You look around today, look around at the different churches, even in just Rockford, and it's really obvious not everyone agrees about the purpose of the church, do they? That would explain a lot what you see. I have a niece-in-law, Rebecca, Carrie's niece. She's a good Christian lady, a good mom, and uh, we love her. She told us some years back when she went to college that she had some struggles her freshman year. One class in particular she told us about psychology, or uh, psychiatry, psychology, psychology. She was excited about taking psychology, and so she was assigned to that class as part of her freshman requirements, and she went to class. She was there a few days, but it was confusing to her. And after a few days of confusion, being too embarrassed to ask questions, she was talking to her brother, Jared, about her confusion, and he was looking at some of her material, and he said, this class is, is uh, sociology, not psychology. That explained a few of the problems she was having. It was kind of funny when she told it to us. <laughs> you are here, you are here this morning because you are looking for something in church, in a setting that we call church. And maybe the whole thing today is new to you and you don't have any idea of what a church is supposed to look like, and so your view of how it should be is, well, really adaptable. Maybe you've had several church experiences, and because of that, you've got a pretty well-developed idea of, well, here's what a church is supposed to look like. You might be brand new here, so your expectations would be simple and flexible. Maybe you've been a part of Central Christian Church longer than the dirt that's under the building has been here. And so your idea of how things are supposed to be is probably very well developed and well set. That's a nice way of putting it. And your ideas will be different than others. When you go into any kind of a setting, it's supposed to be a certain way, isn't it? You go into a funeral home. Funeral homes are supposed to be quiet, calm, comforting, low-key, because the purpose of a funeral home is to bring encouragement and comfort and peace to people in a time of need. Chuck E. Cheese, on the other hand, is supposed to be, well, noisy, chaotic, and draining. And that's because Chuck E. Cheese is there to take your money 
your sanity and one or two years of your life while it entertains your eight-year-old for a couple of hours. Walk into Chuck E. Cheese hoping to find it to be calm and peaceful and reassuring. You're going to be disappointed. And if your eight-year-old bounces into a funeral home hoping to be thoroughly entertained and have a ball, he's going to be disappointed. Different places, different purposes, different expectations. That's reasonable, isn't it? I've been in ministry work for 38 years. That's a confession, I guess. <laughs> 38 years, and I have more than one time sat across from a person and had a person explaining to me how the church wasn't what they expected it to be. Most times I couldn't fix that for them. Some folks come into the church expecting that its purpose is to serve them. Very much like a hotel or a restaurant. Those people, I would call them, are consumers, shoppers. They didn't get what they expected, and so when they didn't find it, they left quickly. They go to find another one, and they leave, disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged, disenchanted. There is another species of people out there, too. They're commonly referred to as church butterflies. I found an actual photo of a church butterfly. There's one right there. <laughs> They're people who will land in one church, and when it doesn't fit, what they expect it to be, they flit off to another one. And, and in a short time, it's flit off to another one and flit off to another one and never quite finding enough. Church butterflies. I've also observed another species of persons that lands in the church. I call this one the North American Settled Agitator. There's an actual picture of one there. They are a long-term creature, and for different reasons, they settle into a church, not because they're pleased with it, though. They put down roots, but they're constantly complaining about the climate. The North American settled agitator. Needless to say, none of these species of people really thrive in the church setting, regardless of where they land, which is really too bad because Jesus has set the success of his ongoing work on the shoulders of the church. One might even say that the hope of the world rests on the presence of the church in the world. That's what I want to say this morning. You know, for people to find in the church a place where they're going to feel fulfilled and where they're going to be pleased and have a good fit, there are two things that need to happen. Number one, the people who come into the church need to bring the right expectation of what you're going to find there. Amen? All right, that's the first thing that needs to happen. The second thing is, then the church needs to be and needs to look like what the church is supposed to be. So yeah, before I'm done here, I'm going to say that the burden of responsibility is on you and me, an individual member of the church. Your expectations, your attitude, your contribution, those are all going to shape how the church is going to be and how the church is going to look. What if every member of the church what if every person of the church have the exact same attitude about the church that you have? 
well, then it would be a perfect church, obviously, right? Think about that question. If you expect the church to be like a funeral home, you may not be pleased when it seems too loud or when it seems like it's preoccupied with trying to connect with people who are on the outside. You'll probably be lobbying for things to fit your tastes. After all, you paid for them, didn't you? And if you expect the church to be like Chuck E. Cheese, you may not be pleased that it's not more entertaining, that it's not louder, or that there aren't a lot of people in it or that there are a lot of people in it who are different than you. Maybe you think it should be more geared to activity, less to thought, kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, who started serving beer years ago for the sake of those poor parents. Go ahead. Just for a moment this morning, think of one or two different comparisons that might describe how you think of the church. Chuck E. Cheese, a funeral home, is it like a, a concert? Is it like a sporting event you go to, a restaurant, a fitness center, a museum, a university? How would you describe what the church is like? Just get that in your mind, a couple of those. And then before I go any farther, let me remind you and myself that the church belongs to Jesus Christ, that Jesus paid for the church with his blood, that when Jesus gave the Great Commission to his church, he didn't give us ownership of his mission as though we are shareholders. He gave us a stewardship of his mission like we are caretakers of something that belongs to him. Listen to these verses, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God took us out of where we were and put us into where? His kingdom. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is something that Jesus has paid for. Revelation 5, 9 says, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let's keep in mind as we talk about this this morning, how God describes our place in his kingdom and how we got here. Anything that we do that affects the shape of the church ought to be a reflection of Jesus' ownership of the church, right? If it's his, then how we treat it, how we arrange it, ought to reflect what he wants. Picture it. You invite me to your house for dinner. Thank you. And after dinner, I just kind of quietly excuse myself from the table and slip off into the next room in your house. After 10 minutes or so that I haven't returned, it's starting to get a little embarrassing, so you come looking for me. And there I am in your front room. The rocking chair has been moved to the other side. The TV has been moved to the side. And I look at you and say, hey, give me a hand with this couch, would you? It would look better over here. Well, the next invitation that you give me will probably be an invitation to stay at my own house and to arrange my own furniture, not to rearrange the stuff there in your home, right? When we go arranging things in Jesus' house, we ought to be doing that according to his desire, shouldn't we? If we arrange them at all. 
If he says to us, here's my house. In fact, here's the room. Arrange it the way you want to. Okay, let's do that. But let's keep in mind that we need to be doing this according to how Jesus wants it done. All of that to say this, that you have an opportunity to be or to become a part of helping the church of Jesus Christ, and I hope the church of Central Christian Church here, to be what it's supposed to be. In fact, I hope that you will become that. Because more than ever, the hope of the world rests on the presence of the church in this world. Do you believe it? Good, I'm going to say that a couple more times. So where can we find how the church is supposed to look? I am so glad you asked that. We've got some specific ways, by the way, here at Central that we are trying to do that at the time and the place where we live. We have here at Central Christian Church a mission statement. It goes like this. Hope lives here. That is our mission statement. To carry that through, we have a vision statement. We plaster that around too. It tells us to remember this, that we are supposed to love God, love people, serve both. And to carry that through, we've got core beliefs and core values. In fact, five core values that are repeatable. They're biblical truth, disciple-making, authentic community, selfless giving, and God-anchored trust. We keep those in mind and keep those in front of us. And I'm going to do my best to keep those in front of us along the way. For these next several weeks, though, I want to speak in more general terms, not just about Central Christian Church, but about the capital C Church. And I want us to consider how the mission of Jesus is still going on through his church now that he has handed it off to the rest of us. We're calling this series Jesus at Work. Now that Jesus came to earth, now that he made it clear who he is, now that he told us about his mission, now that mission is accomplished and he ascends into heaven, Jesus is still at work and he's doing it through his people. The title, How to Start a Church, this morning, honestly, I don't expect everybody to go out and to become a church planter. Now the day may come where we need to give more serious thought to that whether for really good reasons or really tough reasons, okay. But what I hope to do with the time that remains today is to look at the first church to help us get a clearer understanding of how the church today is supposed to look. In fact, for the next several weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the book of Acts. We're going to look at that first church, and it is going to be for us the model that we're to follow as much as we can. Here's a quiz, all right? Audience participation time. What do you get when you cross First Presbyterian Church and Second Congregational Church in downtown Rockford? Some of you know that, don't you? Apparently, you get Second First Church. Not to be confused with Fifth Third Bank. All right? Second First Church. To, to clear up the confusion, when I say first church, here's what I mean. I mean the church as the Lord started it. The church as he intended for it to be. If there is a picture of an original, then our effort to make a copy of it has a whole lot better chance, doesn't it, of looking like it's supposed to, unlike that. 
But if you set the original next to it, then you've got an opportunity to see how it's supposed to really look. And how are we doing at that? Well, that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at the original in Acts chapter 2. Please get your Bibles and open up to that. And I want to suggest that we need to keep going back to that original, and we need to check and see if we're doing it correctly or if it looks like the Mona Lisa when you didn't have the original next to it, apparently. Acts, this book, is the record of what happened right after Jesus left. If you go into the New Testament, there are four Gospels all about the life of Jesus. And after Jesus left the earth, you're in the book of Acts. What happened in the days, weeks, and years just after Jesus left the earth? So Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Jesus was raised after Passover. He spent 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And Acts, chapter 1, starts with a recap of that end of Jesus' time on earth. He is, in his words and his actions, handing the baton off to these men that he has trained to start the church and carry on his work. He has been preparing them for three years. And now that the heavy lifting has been done by Jesus, the work is being handed over to these specially chosen apostles. Apostles. What will it take for them to begin the church? And what should that church be like? Here is a checklist I'm finding in Acts chapters 1 and 2. The first thing is there need to be enough leaders. If you read the end of chapter 1, you're reminded of how Judas Iscariot was replaced. In fact, there in Acts chapter 1, we don't want this to be a PG-13 Sunday, but you can even read some of the grisly details of his death, all right? Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. Some argue that maybe the way they chose Matthias really wasn't the way that it should have been done. I can't deal with that in the time we've got this morning. Maybe we can't be sure of it. But here is something that we can do with that information. Jesus chose how many men to become his disciples? Twelve. These men, in fact, became known as the Twelve. So when G Judas removed himself from the Twelve, they became no longer the Twelve. <laughs> They're the Eleven, and, and Matthias jumps in, <clears throat> is put in place to make them Twelve again. All along the way, these men have been taught by Jesus. They have all seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And with Judas defecting to the other team, the 11 needs to become the 12 again. Getting the church going was going to take some work. And now there's, less, there's one less person to do it. So they take care of that. Replacing Judas with Matthias was about making sure there are enough leaders to get the church going. If we're going to be the church as Jesus started the church to be, it tells me there's going to need to be a steady flow of replacements. Sorry, I'm talking about your replacement this morning. But especially in positions of leadership. Some have referred to that, that line that needs to happen as the leadership pipeline. That's not just a church phrase. That comes out of the business world, too. The leadership pipeline. <clears throat> in 1977, the Trans-Alaska Trans oil pipeline got into working order. It was set into motion. It was fired up and it helped relieve pressure on the nation's oil supply. Some 40 years after that, the sources of oil weren't as robust as before, and so the oil flow slowed down nearly 70%. And it brought a new kind of a threat to the pipeline because you know what? It's really cold up there. 
And oil flowing through that pipeline from way up north in Alaska slows down if there isn't enough of it to the point where it could even stop. And it's simple. If there isn't enough oil coming down the pipe, it won't function correctly. I can guarantee you that all of the people who originally started Central Christian Church are not here. Or they would be very old. If others had not stepped into their place as they passed away, as they moved away, as some of them stepped away, we wouldn't be here right now, would we? That has always been true of the church. It started even before the church started when Peter stood up and said, we need to replace Judas. There need to be enough leaders, enough people in there. Guess why? Because the hope of the world rests on the presence of the church in this world. Amen? Hope lives here if we have a constant flow of leaders and members and workers in the church as there needs to be. That's the only way it works. Our leadership, our ministry teams, our small groups will exist and thrive to the degree that people are willing to lead them and serve through them. Every time something really good happens at Central Christian Church, every time behind it there is a person or a group of people who helped it happen. Here's the next obvious necessity. All right, need enough leaders. You also need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would send his Holy Spirit after he left. Chapter 1, verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, that's the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus was giving them orders. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So chapter 2 of the book of Acts, that's exactly what we find them doing. They're there in Jerusalem following orders, waiting. Waiting for what? The Holy Spirit. All right? So there they are. There's no sense in trying to start the church until that happens. Chapter 2 verse 1, let's start reading it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? From that moment and Right on through, the Holy Spirit would be driving the church. 68 times, by the way, his name shows up in the book of Acts. I just noticed this, that the apostles didn't try to do a thing until the Holy Spirit helped them. 
Church, I think we too often function as if we don't think the Holy Spirit is going to do anything. But if we follow the model of the church from the beginning, that can't be. And if you're wondering, by the way, this morning, well, what does the Holy Spirit do in my life? I'm glad that you asked that. Let me give you a hot tip, and I'm serious about this today. If you're wondering, what do you mean? What's the Holy Spirit supposed to be doing? Turn to Romans chapter 8, read Romans chapter 8, and write down everything it says that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a follower of Jesus. Would you do that? You'll answer your own question. You'll answer it to a great degree. And you'll be going, ah, <laughs> and you'll be thanking God for the helper that he gives to his people. That's something that if the church is going to be the church, we have got to get a grip on. Here's the third thing. If the church is going to get started, the church is going to need a word from the Lord. There is a reason that on our list of five core values at Central Christian Church, the very first one is biblical truth. Because God's word is at the core of what we do as his church. That's one of those amen things. All right? Look at how central it was to everything that was happening in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Verse 16. This, Peter says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he goes back to Joel chapter 2 and he quotes from that Old Testament prophet. Verse 25, he says this, David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. What was Peter talking about? He was quoting Psalm 16. Verse 34, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What was he talking about? He was quoting Psalm 110. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. This is the church getting started. What was going on? They were hearing a word from God. The only way that people are going to come to know Jesus Christ is through God's word. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that good news? Okay. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? There is that serious set of questions that Paul asks in Romans chapter 10. There's a reason that we are part of the complex efforts there are going on around the world today to translate the Bible into the native tongue of people who yet don't have God's word in their own language. There is a good reason for us to be doing that. And there's a reason that Central Christian Church helps underwrite two of those efforts. It's because of this. The only way that people can be saved is if they hear the good news about Jesus. That's it. 
It's another way that the hope of the world rests on the presence of the church in this world, getting God's word into people's hands, helping them to hear a word from the Lord. Here's one other thing you're going to need if you're going to start a church. I noticed that. It involves an invite to Jesus. You know, I'm sure you did, that there are over 42 million commercial flights a year worldwide. 115,000 a day. At any given time, there are somewhere around half a million people in the air. And it made me think. That's a picture of those flights at one point. It made me think, how many times have flight attendants given those safety instructions in front of everybody? How many of you have seen those, heard those more than one time? Look around. Yeah. All right. So, 42 million a year worldwide. There has been, by the way, commercial air travel over 100 years, so you do the math. How many of you think that they're going to keep doing that? I think they will. They keep repeating them all because there is the remote possibility that there might be an emergency, and if there is an emergency, there is a remote possibility that maybe one person might benefit from keeping those important instructions. So I guess, as lame as it might seem, they matter, don't they? I want to tell you, it's not corny, it's not old school to invite people to give their lives over to Jesus as Lord. And when I say that this morning, I'm not talking about taking someone aside just randomly and saying to them, just pray this prayer with me and you'll be saved. That's not the pattern, by the way, on the day that the church began, the first church. Take a look in chapter 2, verse 23 and verse 36, where Peter makes this personal to the people who are listening. He says, in essence to them, you crucified Jesus. You Jews, you were waiting for the Messiah who would come and save you. He came, and you, through wicked people, put him to death. Whenever we talk about Jesus, we got to read the room. we got to think about who's listening. The rest of Acts will make that very clear. Our message needs to be tuned to the ears of the people to whom we're speaking it. So no matter who it is, we need to let people know what Jesus wants. He wants them to follow him. Till they're invited, what are they supposed to do? Until someone tells them this message, what are they supposed to do? Well, that's exactly what they asked Peter. Look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. If you're going to start a church, you're also going to need to find a place where you can baptize people. That day, as the church began, 
about, it says, 3,000 people were baptized. And that, by itself, should tell us a lot about what it means to be the church that the Lord wants us to be. I think that being the church in Rockford, Illinois, in 2023 could be compared to a relay race, you know, like a, a four by 1,000 or a four by 100, 100. Every leg of that relay has to be done well for the team to win, doesn't it? Every person who's running one segment of it has to do his or her very best. The handoffs have to be done just right. It's critical. And if anyone of the four who run runs a slower speed, then the other three have to make up for it somehow. If, if the first three legs have left the team behind, then it's all on the shoulders of the last runner to make it up if they're going to win. The hope of the world rests on the presence of the church in this world. That's you and me. There's some good runners ahead of us. There have been some good runners, haven't there? There have been some people who have done excellently, who have handled the handoffs, and now it's in our hand. And now it's up to us to be the presence of the church in this world as Jesus has told us to be. Before I come back, before I get home, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. He didn't say there'd be grounding. But he did say that's what he wants done by his people until he comes. That's how you start a church. That's how you be the church. So this morning, here's what I hope has happened. I hope that your eyes have opened a little bit as to what the church is supposed to be like so that your expectations of how the church is supposed to look are going to line up with what the church really is supposed to be. And my hope then is that you and I, with that good attitude, will be the church that we're supposed to be. So that means this morning, if you're already a follower of Jesus, taking that good attitude and applying it to what's going on at Central Christian Church. It might mean signing up to help out and go Sunday. Well, it does mean that if you haven't yet. Uh, it might mean being part of a small group, leading a small group, being a part of a ministry team. It might mean volunteering just in some simple way that it's needed. It might mean taking a, a, an individual person under wing and mentoring that person and discipling them and helping them to grow up in Christ. There's a whole list of things that we can be to be the church. This morning, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, it means the thing that we've been looking at. It means that you're sitting there saying, well, what do I do? And the answer to that is Acts 2.38, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we have a place that you can be baptized. That's here in the building. And we'd love for that to be something that we get to watch here this morning. Somebody becoming a follower of Jesus and starting this walk in his church. Wouldn't that be great? Last Sunday, I mentioned that <clears throat> Rory Lemons was supposed to be baptized. That was wrong. It was Rory Almond. I always remember that when Bonnie said she married Dan, she went from being a nut to a fruit. 
I do want to tell you this, that Rory was baptized last Sunday. And it's been a... It's been a long road. It's been um, his brother-in-law and brother teaching him the good news about Jesus and helping him to get to that point where he said, that's what I want to do. And he was baptized last Sunday. I hope we'll get to meet Rory here. He'll be here with us. But anyway, that could happen this morning. That could happen again right here. And if that's you this morning, then I'm encouraging you. We're going to sing the song here in a moment. Come down here to the front. Let me talk to you. Let one of our elders or our staff, other person, talk to you, visit with you about your relationship to Jesus. And that could be you today. We're ready. But you say, oh, I don't have a change of clothes. You can go home wet. It's raining outside. You could go home wet, but we have a change of clothes for you too. We could take care of that. We've thought ahead on this because it matters. So you think about it today. Will you do that? Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, thank you that we have a picture of your church to look at. My prayer, God, is for me and for uh, this church body that we uh, will remember this belongs to you, that it ought to look the way you want it to be. And Father, I pray that we'll bring our our Bible-guided expectations into this body of people, and that will encourage one another to be exactly what you've called us to be. There are some people today, Father, who have yet to make the choice to be baptized into you, and I pray that this will be a day, looking at how the church began, that they will begin that new life in you. Lord, use us. Remove the barriers, please that would prevent us from being everything you've asked us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.